Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. Our thanks to the Digital Greenhouse for their support. I'm Amanda Eulenkamp, back for 2023 to bring you more interviews with the local entrepreneurs using Guernsey's Innovation Hub as a springboard for success or as a base for their work. Now my guest this month falls into the latter camp and he's someone who invests in seeing other people's business ambitions succeed. Mark Cohen is the sole partner at Unbundled VC. He describes himself as an early stage digital tech investor and sees, virtually in most cases, lots of entrepreneurs who are looking for investment. Some are here in Guernsey, but mostly they're from off island. It was a really interesting chat. We talked about what venture capital is, how he's looking to do things differently to the big players and what he looks for in a business and a founder. As he says, if you're good enough, you're good enough to get an investment from him. So here's our conversation. I started by asking him about his journey to being a VC. So my background originally, a long time ago, I was a maths undergraduate at Cambridge. Um, I went and worked in the city of London for seven years as an interest rate swap trader. And then I did the unusual thing that sort of no one ever does when they have a good job. And I quit to do something completely else and go back to something completely else and go back to university and study artificial intelligence. And this is back in 2001 when that wasn't really a thing like it is now. Uh, but it was just something I was interested in, so I thought I would go and do that. And I did that at Sussex University in Brighton. I met my wife there, who was doing her undergraduate, so that was a, another bonus. Uh, eventually went back into the city, joined a proprietary trading group, built the systematic trading side of that up from scratch to become most of that business, had been doing a poker and AI side project, brought my friend from that into the trading business, and we bought the fully AI version of that. And so that was part of my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, For the last eight years of that, I lived and worked remotely from Lugano in the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. Then we moved here, my wife and I and four sons, uh, to Guernsey, uh, four and a half, coming up to five years ago. I'm very happy here, building a house, uh, and got involved in venture capital, firstly angel investing and then venture capital investing. So at Unbundled VC, it's just me, but I invest my own money into early stage digital tech businesses and looking for the the best opportunities uh, and the things that can are doing interesting things that have a chance of incredible multiples on your money. And of course, not everything is gonna gonna look like that, or it would be too easy. Uh, but that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. I guess your background in the city has has really prepared you for a lot of what you do now. Absolutely. And I think it's about understand as much as anything, understanding the nature of risk uh, and that where does that balance of risk and reward come from where you can see, yes, it's got this upside potential. Obviously, pretty much everything you invest in has the potential to go to zero as well. So it's understanding that balance of risk and which risks are the right ones to be taken. Um, and also, I actually, and I sort of alluded to it a bit before, I used to play quite a lot of poker. Uh, and again, it's the same thing. You don't, you need to keep doing the right things again and again and again. And eventually, you'll get the, the right outcome. In poker, if you get all your money win with aces, then on average, you're going to do pretty well. But sometimes you lose. And so it's understanding that nature of risk and return and that actually not everything works. Does your wife ever tell you off for what you've done or is she very understanding? 
Uh, she's understanding and she's very supportive. I, she does have some nervousness about <laughs> it, of course. But yeah, she's she's generally been very supportive. Uh, in fact, back in the early days when I started playing some poker, I wanted to play in a in a bigger game, and she said to me. If you keep some records and can prove that you've made at least that much money, you can go play in that big game. And I did it. Actually, that game never ran. But actually, that was the start of me maybe taking it a bit a bit more seriously when I used to do that as well. And I loved reading your blog about when you went to see the Book of Mormon. And I think you just won a poker game then. And I quote, you had about a thousand pounds in cash in your pocket. And... Uh, Book of Mormon was written by uh, the scriptwriters of South Park, wasn't it? And I think there was the opportunity to bid for the script and you didn't go for it. No, so there's a thing in venture capital called your anti-portfolio, which is the big investment that would have done incredibly well that you passed on, that you chose not to invest in. For example, people have their stories of not investing in Facebook when they had the opportunity to. So I don't have any of those yet but this is a good example of that and i might have had slightly more than a thousand pounds in my pocket <laughs> but it was um they were raising money for we went to this performance it was done by the as you say the the sort of authors of uh south park they got to the end and they're raising money and they said if anyone has a thousand pounds you can get a copy of the south park scripts signed by the the creators um of the episode um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got like Tom Cruise and various people in it. It's quite a quite a famous episode. And I sort of wanted to do it. And my wife was egging me on and I didn't do it. I think as much as anything, I didn't want to sort of step up in front of everybody. Uh, but I wish I had, because it would have been a thing that probably would both be worth quite a bit more money now <laughs> and would have been a thing that I would just love to own. So, yeah, that's my my anti-portfolio. And, and I don't have many regrets, but that's definitely one of them. I wonder who, who's got that script. If you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> Talking about £1,000 there, but actually I think your minimum investment is usually around about 50000 Is that correct? That's what I would normally invest first time into a yeah. business, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when people approach you, uh, and I'm, I've been on your website and it's, it's got video links and you can upload your 15 minutes. You've got a 15 minute pitch, haven't you, to to attract your attention. What are you looking for? I think you're looking for two things. You're looking for exceptional founders. And we can come back to what that what that means and an opportunity that has, as we as we said before, huge potential because not everything works. What you need is that some of those investments have out what you might call outlier returns that have the potential to return, let's say, 100 times on your money. And of course, most things aren't going to do that, even if they've got the potential to do that. But because some things don't work, and most things don't work as well as people help, hoped, even if they do work, they need to have that potential so that your overall when you invest in a lot of things, portfolio returns are high enough. So a combination of exceptional founders, a business that has that potential, ideally one that's not in too crowded a space. Sometimes you see things and it's like, well, I've seen sort of 10 similar things in the last three months. And even if you're really good, it's quite hard to figure out which one is going to win. And you want to know that that, that plan seems at least to be plausible to to get there i mean anyone can make up a market that's that's potentially that big but it's got to be 
to a certain extent, realistic as well. Of course, they're going to be ambitious. And so your definition of realistic might be different to mine. But that's what you're looking for. And I know within the first two weeks of you setting up this business, you had 60 or so applications, didn't you? So how do you, how do you is that 60 people doing 15 minute videos or how do you actually whittle them down to the ones that you're going to take the next stage? So they, I think it was that number of businesses that I knew of that were raising. So not all of those are in remit, as in they fit that scope, you know, that I would consider breaking my own rules for uh, and occasionally they wouldn't wouldn't come to me either so but a number of them I think the majority of them still will come through they'll do the video pitch it's actually a three minute video pitch three minutes at the beginning don't get too don't get too worried anyone who's listening <laughs> no because you're trying to do two things one is you want well, a few things actually you want them to be able to describe their business succinctly um, you need to manage your own time as well. So if you have to listen to 15 minutes from 60, that's, I don't know, like, well, that's 15 hours of, of that's videos thought, to listen yes. to and yep. actually think about. But of course, you're also chewing up their time from doing that as well. So you're being respectful of their time, managing your time, and also filtering for that that skill, that ability to talk succinctly about their business in that short space of time. And then from those some of those you say, okay, let's come and have a uh, a first 30-minute call um, and take it from there. And are there occasions when your gut says, this is a really good business opportunity, and your head is saying, hmm, maybe not quite so sure, or are you so focused and so clear on what you're looking at that the head always rules the heart? That's a, a, a really good question. I'm quite disciplined about what I will and I won't do. And I'm also spend a lot of time thinking about when I've done things right or not quite right, how I can get things better in the future. So, I mean, one thing I would say is always sleep on it. Uh, Never make a decision in that instant. Um, But there are some businesses where you can make a very fast decision and, and actually know quite quickly where the... It's, it's a, a no. A fast no is often quite easy because you know when you don't want to invest in something. Sometimes you can make a fast yes if the business is quite easy to understand and all the right other pieces are in place. And sometimes it'll take a bit longer and a bit more thought because you need to do a bit of research. There are because the business is more complex. There are more questions that you need to ask, uh, and so. It varies. I'm not sure I've answered the head versus heart question, but I think you need both before you invest in anything, to be honest. I think I think the sleep on it is very good advice, though, isn't it? Because that's that's the same in anything. You always hear about if you've written an, an, an email in anger, don't hit send, sleep on it first. So I think that's good advice for life, full stop. So um, uh, I'm also really impressed on how... Uh, much you'll get you know how good you are at getting back to founders and the amount of times that you'll you'll always contact somebody even if it's a no won't you you'll you, you're not just going to let people upload three minutes of video and ignore them and I think you also said that you always give feedback now that's really important to get that constructive feedback isn't it and do you ever give that feedback to somebody and then three months later you know they they come back to you and say okay I took that on board I've looked at this would you take another look at it 
couple of questions there. So I'll start with the, the feedback and, and getting back to people. So unfortunately, that isn't standard in the venture capital industry. And I think it's partly there's a, there's a power imbalance. One, per, one group of people have got the money and one group of people want it. Uh, and it's not that like applying for a job. And if they've got lots of applicants, I, they don't always get back to you either. They should do. Um, but I think it's important to treat people with respect it doesn't take long to, to write an email and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be investing. In terms of giving everyone feedback, I do that. That does take up a bit more a bit more time, and I, I can't promise I'll always do it, as the volume of people that, that are trying to raise money from me increases. It may not be possible uh, always, but at the moment, I am doing it and I'm giving everyone feedback. And it may only be four or five short bullet points. And people are generally appreciative of that. Because I say it's not standard across the industry and people do find it helpful. The other aspect to that is it does build your reputation amongst the founders. And then when they, if someone they know is looking to raise money and they say, who should I speak to? Hopefully they say, you should go speak to Mark at Unbundled VC. But I've had a few actually recently, even this year, where they've said, you were right not to invest when you invested last time. And I've made, and we have made, some of the changes that you talked about in your feedback and it's it's really helped so it's nice to to hear that that people find it helpful and again it's good to build up your reputation as well because if you don't see the best deals you won't have the opportunity to invest in them and and having a good reputation is important for that and when when you do invest you're quite keen to stress that you're not looking necessarily for a percentage of a business you're looking for that good return aren't you absolutely and so for me it's is it the right amount of money and am i happy to invest in that business at that valuation then nothing else actually matters because i'm always a minority investor i'm not looking for a board seat so the large vcs when they invest typically because they have so much money to put to work they only want to lead the round, as in they're the main person, and they will take a board seat from doing that. And that means if you're doing that, there are some reasons you might want to maintain a certain minimum percentage, because that will be the thing that enables you to keep that seat on the board and keep that influence. From my perspective, it's is the value, say, it's, it's as simple as valuation, amount of money, am I happy? Now, the valuation does then feed back into should I invest or not because if you're looking for that potential large return the higher the valuation the higher the endpoint valuation has got to be to to justify that so if the valuation is higher the opportunity size has to be to be bigger but no I don't care about percentages and there are quite a few VCs who do and I think they do for the wrong reason and it's to do with the amount, but it is to do with the amount of money that they've put to work and how they figure their return profile will look like at the end of investing a fund. And you talk about as well on your website, which is a brilliant website, a great source of information for for any potential investors, um, about the fact that you'll be as involved as a founder wants. So, that, so the founder is a really important person. You, you talked a little while ago in this interview about exceptional founders. Yep. So just elaborate a little bit on that for me, Mark. So the in terms of the involved or as not involved as they want, what I'll always say to them is, 
I'll only invest if I think you'll win if you never speak to me again, but that isn't my intention. Then it's up to you. You can call on me as much or as little as you want, but obviously I'm not going to be a full-time employee. I've got my own business and and I've got a portfolio of businesses that I've invested in. Uh, so they then, some will just get on with it and they'll just report to you regularly about how the business is doing and some do call on you a bit more and they find that helpful. I think people like both parts of that. They like the part that they're there when you need them, but that what they also don't want is someone that's kind of nagging them every five minutes. How's it going? How's it going? How's it going? What about this? What about this? What about this? Sometimes they just want to get on with it and that's actually not constructive and, and not helpful. Second part in terms of what am I looking for in a founder, there's a lot more to it. And I'll start with why it's important with a founder because you're in a, these early stage businesses. Sometimes it's just the founders. They're the only people, they're literally about to start their business with an idea. And so, yes, you can like the idea, but that's all you've got. You've got no profit numbers or revenue. And sometimes you've got very early things on those. You don't quite know how they're going to do when they go out and sell their product. So all you've got is is the founder. Sometimes it's a little bit and they've got some revenue, but really the earlier you go, the more the founder is important. By the time you get to things that are listed on the stock market, for example, yes, people care whether there's a good CEO or there isn't a good CEO, but by and large, they're looking at the business and the numbers and how it's doing. You don't have those, and so you have to rely on the on the founders and their importance. So what am I looking for in an exceptional founder? I think there are three main skills, and I'll say them in this order. Uh, sales. At the beginning, they're going to have to do three really important things. They're going to have to sell the business to people like me and persuade me to invest. And so that is an incredible, it doesn't matter how good your business is, if you can't persuade people to invest in it, you're not going to make it. And I want to know that if they're sat in front of one of the big players in venture capital in five years time and want to raise £100 million or more, that they're going to sound credible in front of them. The second part of the sales side is obviously they actually genuinely need to be able to sell their own product and figure out how to do that. And the third part is they have to be able to hire people persuade them to want to come and work for a company that in some sense almost doesn't exist. It does, but no one knows whether it will be there in a year or two years time because everyone knows that not every business makes it and people still have to want to come and work for that business, typically at a lower salary than normal, but with share options. They have to come and want to work for you and believe in that business and the mission of that business. So if they can't sell, that's a problem, hugely important skill. The other one is maybe, the second one's maybe a bit more obvious, kind of decision-making skills. And this one is quite hard to quantify. I try and do it by asking about the history, by asking how they got to this point. So if you can see any evidence of that, or if their business looks different to how it did, it, they expected it to do on day one and why. And so you're listening for how they reached those decisions and how they made those judgments to see if there seems like there's something quite special there uh, and the third part is really and there obviously there are lots more skills that you're looking out there you want them ideally to have some expertise in the space that there are but we'll kind of take that as red the third one is kind of resilient stroke someone who kind of is just going to make things happen that isn't going to give up that they go no matter what I'm going to find a way to make this work because there are going to be 
a lot of setbacks along the way, right? Even the businesses that, you know, the Facebooks of this world, there were things that happened along the way where they would have had, we probably would never know about them, but they would have had huge problems and setbacks and knockbacks and they've got to figure out how on earth am I going to solve this? So those skills are hugely important. And you're trying to figure these things out from conversations, right? And so talked about experience, sitting down, talking to these people, the more it's quite hard to do if you haven't actually met so many of these people. And that feeds back again to why I start with that video pitch, because I want to hear it in their words. I want to try and get a feel for the person. Do they have that that skill set? Um, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And, and interestingly, three minutes doesn't sound very long at all, does it? But it actually is longer than you think. But that is actually a skill in itself to get those messages across in three minutes and attract not just your attention, but the attention of of other venture tech capitalists across the board, because I mean, you're obviously not going to be a lone investor in a company. Um, uh, obviously, it sounds like you do, you will help people quite a lot. You've obviously got a vast library of experience behind you. But I'll just touch on the digital greenhouse because, um, you know, they do a fantastic job, don't they, in Guernsey and in accelerator programmes, etc. So have you yourself had help from them or how are you involved with them now and, and what's the future relationship? So I started there when I first moved to Guernsey and I needed a, a space to to, to work from that's where I, I started I then moved into another office and more recently moved back there and I really like it um, because it's just me I kind of don't want to sit at home on my own trying to do it sometimes with kids running around going a, going a bit crazy um, so I need to be I need to be in an office somewhere but I like having people around me and it's got this sort of great lively atmosphere and there's lots of people out there trying to make their own thing work so it's a lovely place to to be and to be set up and of course they run lots of programs for sort of aspiring entrepreneurs and people that are on their entrepreneurial journey and I am going to be taking part in some of those pieces to to help some of those people who are on those journeys. I think it's really important isn't it for entrepreneurs to to sort of pass their experiences on and and help people where they can it's how the world turns isn't it really at the end of the day. Absolutely and if I have a Guernsey business that comes to me I'll always make time for them have coffee with them that kind of thing I obviously can't do that with every single business that pitches me but if it's one that, that's here then for sure I'm going to do that that's actually an interesting point Mark what, what sort of what's your percentage of on-island businesses that are pitching versus off-island it's it is mainly UK and European businesses and I think if you just think about the volume of people that means it's it's quite a small fraction that are that are Guernsey businesses, it's probably sub 1% of them. Uh, so I'll probably see most of the ones that are here, and I won't see all of the ones in the UK, but I'll see a lot of those. And do you have a, a good network of other venture capitalists as well that you can sort of, do you all talk and, about these um, people uh, uh, that approach you? Absolutely, yes. And so obviously whenever you, you're investing in a deal, when you know there's a someone who's already committed to that to that deal, um, you'll go and talk to them and see what they think. And some are, some you'll have a higher regard for than others. And so you'll be more interested if one of those is invested because you respect their opinion more, but you'll still go talk to them. 
understand why they're investing, um, what their thesis is, what they like, what they don't like. And again, after you've invested, you'll talk to some of the other people that you invested with to build up those relationships so you can understand what they're looking for so that if I commit to invest in a business, I can share that with them and they hopefully, having met me and hoping that I sound credible, will take more notice of it if we've already had a conversation about that and then I email them. And so then that's a another way of helping those businesses that you're committing to invest in. I take on board what you say about Guernsey and its small population, but we actually have some fantastic entrepreneurs, don't we, on Ireland? Yeah, there are some great entrepreneurs here. There are some people who've done incredible things and built inc- incredible business. So it's not all of those are venture capital businesses. And it's probably worth repeating that not every business is a venture capital business. Venture capital businesses are, venture capital is built for businesses that actually aren't going to make any money for some period of time, but that at scale could be hugely profitable. So, you know, your Googles and your Facebooks and your Amazons, they didn't make any money for a long time and therefore they needed that venture capital support. There are lots of businesses that don't look like that, that don't need that money, that can generate and grow organically. And those are still can be incredible businesses that don't need the support of, of venture capital. So I think there are a lot of businesses on Ireland. There are some venture capital type businesses and some non-venture capital type businesses and you don't have to go down one you you shouldn't feel that you have to go down one particular path both are options that are open to people and i I know you you've said here as well that you prefer a a venture capital led round so just for the investor base just elaborate on that for me so uh yeah what that means is that a vc firm hopefully a, a credible one is is leading the round and is taking a significant piece of that investment round and there's a couple of reasons for that it's obviously helpful to know that another professional investor also likes the deal while you make your own decisions it's still reassuring that that's not just you and there's something obvious that you've missed Uh, the other side is that because professional investors see so many different deals they're both able to better able to figure out what the good ones are, but they also have a better feel for where valuation should be and what price you should be paying to invest in a deal. If you have a an investment round that doesn't have professional investors in, sometimes the business can be quite interesting, but the valuation can be a long way ahead of where it ought to be. So these are not things that you have to see, but they're definitely preferable because sometimes for, for precisely those reasons. And again, not everything looks like that. There are exceptions where it is an angel round. It's still very high quality and the price is right and you want to do it. And, and what made you um, go out on your own a few months ago? Because it's actually quite a new business, isn't it? Your, yours. Um, I wanted to do things slightly differently. And most venture capital firms, they talk about doing things differently, but they largely, they're similar. They all do things slightly differently, but they all have things that they can't do almost because they've got clients, right? Uh, And so what I had an opportunity to think about was what would I do if this was just me? 
out of those constraints. Um, and I got quite excited by what that would look like. And that's precisely what I've been doing, which is to be as supportive and actually as open about everything that I'm doing as possible to the extent that, you know, I do post on LinkedIn every day and I even post with their permission, all the people that I've met, the businesses that have pitched me, all those kinds of things in any institution, you wouldn't be able to do that because it's considered your deal flow and you don't want to, you know, and that's your edge that you have these these deals. And so people, you'd be worried that somebody else was going to go and steal a deal that, that you'd seen. I don't have that constraint because I'm a relatively small investor in these in these rounds, I don't have that constraint. I'm not worried about that competition aspect. I don't have any clients who are gonna be going, well, why are you telling everyone what you're doing? Somebody else might nick that deal. I can go, I can do all those things and just try and make myself as helpful as I can possibly be in the hope that that means that both, if there is a competitive round, they go, actually, Mark was super helpful and therefore, I want him to be in when we're having to choose who's going to be in the round and who's not. I'm going to going to have him in and that's happened a couple of times already and that they've enjoyed the experience that much more that again when one of their friends it says who should I go talk to they say you should go talk to Mark at unbundled VC and so you're again generating that reputation and that future deal flow. And talking of the future you're actually, you, I'm just going to quote something you wrote here. You said, founders, I don't care about your exit strategy. If you are an early stage business and are thinking about your exit strategy, you are focusing on the wrong things. And I thought that was a really interesting concept because a lot of people in business, regardless of what the business is, have in the back of their mind their exit strategy. So um, just elaborate on that a little bit, Mark, why that is just a no-no for you. So again, it's two things that that relates to. One is it being an early stage business and the other one it being a venture capital business. And so for venture capital businesses, because you want that chance of that very big outcome, if people are thinking, and that, that's likely to be at least five years away if you achieved it, maybe seven or 10. If people are thinking about how they're going to exit now rather than how the hell they're going to get there, then they're thinking 100% about the wrong things and again it's that early stage thing because you are that far away from it the other side we're talking about the difference between venture businesses and non-venture business if you've got a business that's your own you might go well actually i'm trying to grow it to this point and then i want to sell it and that's fine but if you've got professional venture capital investors who know that a disproportionate amount of their return is going to come from those few that do kind of rocket ship (laughs) They don't want to know that the maximum outcome is going to be, oh, I'm going to sell it then, because then there's no point. You can't get that disproportionate return from it, and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be investing. If you've got a more, what you might call traditional business, then actually it's perfectly reasonable. You've got a business, you know what you're doing, you're growing that business a certain amount each year. When you get to this point, you know there'll be someone who's interested in buying it, and that's completely reasonable. But it's not what most professional investors are looking for in venture capital and with your ai background and your technical background and digital greenhouse on board 
we're actually looking for that next digital business that is just going to absolutely shoot to the moon. That would be fantastic, looking for that rocket ship. That was Mark Cohen from Unbundled BC. It was really great to get some insights into the world of venture capital and how aspiring founders can tap into that world. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what we've heard, what it's like starting a business in Guernsey, and any questions you have for the local entrepreneurs who are already working hard to turn their business dreams into reality. You can email me on aulenkamp at guernseypress.com or find me and the Guernsey Press on LinkedIn. We'll be back with more interviews on this feed, so stay tuned to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. Thanks for listening. Till next time.